I, I don't think so. I have ever seen the word Quixotic. I don't even know if that's how you say it. Quixotic. Quixotic in real life. I more want to talk about this in order to explore the question than present my answers because I don't really have all the answers for this question and really I don't have all the answers for anything but my question that I sent you today was what is freedom and what does it mean to live in a free country that's a pretty big question well okay how about we start with this how about we start by just giving a basic definition for the word freedom Okay, so the definition of freedom says the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. But I think in order to truly be free, you need the power and the right to do something. You know, you need the justification for your action, thought, or words, and the power to express those actions, thoughts, or words. Okay, so when you say power, you mean ability. Yeah, ability. And then when you say right, you mean <laughs> the correctness, I guess. No, no, not not that you're correct in doing it, but that you have a valid reasoning behind it, I guess. What's the difference? Well... Let's say you say something, like if we're talking about the freedom of speech. Let's say you say something that is incorrect. Well, you're still free to say it. It is okay for you to be incorrect, right? Yes. Without hindrance or restraint. Yes. So it's not necessarily saying you're, you're justified in what you're saying. Yeah. It's that's... you're justified in that you're saying it. Yeah, that's... That's what I was trying to get at. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, so if you go down a few definitions, I don't know if you're looking at the Google Dictionary. Oh, yeah, I am. So it says the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. That's what freedom is. The state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Yeah. That's different. That's very different, but... That is more, that's easily understood, I guess, while the first definition isn't. And also it's the first definition for a reason, because that kind of encompasses the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved. Yes, a little bit. Well, what do you see as the the main differences between these two definitions? Yeah, it's like, you know... All pinkies are fingers, but not all fingers are pinkies. Okay. So, I'm saying that the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint can apply to more than just not being a slave. Oh, I see, I see. John, let me ask you this. Okay. Have you heard of the different types of freedom? Uh, maybe... What do you what do you know about them? Uh, 
there's positive freedom and negative freedom. Have you heard of those? Yeah, I've, I've heard of them. I don't really know what they mean. So positive freedom is you are free to something. It is, a, it is an active freedom. I'm free to say what I want. I am free to buy this house. Negative freedom is freedom from something. I am free from being killed by another person. Oh, I see. I am free from having my things stolen from me by the government or something like that. That that those two definitions of freedom align a lot more a lot better I think with the two definitions we've we've posed. So positive freedom is the freedom to something. It's a it's a positive action and that would line up with the first definition the power to speak or think or act as you want without hindrance or restraint and negative freedom the freedom from something much like you are freed from prison aligns really mm-hmm. well with the second definition which yeah. is the state of not being imprisoned or enslaved yeah well so uh, question is is freedom simply the ability to do whatever you want or whatever you please uh i guess do you see anything wrong with that yeah it's only one side of a coin what do you mean well we talk a lot about freedom and rights but the other side of the coin is responsibility okay I believe that if you have freedom without responsibility, that freedom is nothing but dangerous. And then if you have responsibility without any freedom, you're powerless. You're, you're powerless, right? Yes. It goes back to that definition that we were saying. It's the power and justification the freedom is the power the responsibility is the justification so and today i think we come across very often instances in which people use their freedom irresponsibly so take take the the right to free speech or yeah take the right to free speech okay there is a way to use this freedom irresponsibly right uh yeah there's a way to use this right to free speech irresponsibly in a way that harms other people either because you just can't control your mouth or or because we have we have things we want to say and we don't want to think about them there's a way to use freedom the freedom to 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 speak as you please irresponsibly in a way that that brings harm to other other people yeah like directly calling for violence against someone or yelling fire right. in a crowded theater or spilling national secrets or something like that you know right yes here's my question if people if people 
can use this freedom irresponsibly. And if people are prone, not only can, but will use this freedom irresponsibly, is it better to limit this freedom? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I see a rather simple answer to that. And that would be, you would limit the irresponsible uses of it. Okay, what do you mean by that? Well, we have limitations on free speech. You are not allowed to yell fire in a crowded theater. You are not allowed to directly call for violence against someone and threaten them. You are not allowed to spill national secrets that endanger the lives of people overseas. Those are illegal. everything, Everything you're listing right now, though, is a hindrance or restraint. And freedom, as we said earlier, the first definition we gave, it's the power to act, speak, or think without hindrance or restraint. So I'd argue that this isn't freedom. This is just a limited form of uh, of choice. It's Or it's not total freedom. It's a limited form of freedom. Okay. But I believe that people would rather have that. They would rather live in a society with those very small limitations on free speech than in one that doesn't have that. You, you, you sort of mentioned the solution to the problem of absolute freedom is a limited form of freedom. Yeah. But what we still desire is absolute freedom. Do we? We don't want limited freedom. Yes, I think we do. Okay, where are you getting that? And that we don't want to be hindered or restrained in any sense do you have any evidence (laughs) (laughs) i mean i do personally i I guess take like take the example of a sport i don't know i because there's rules in sports and there are always rules in sports and that makes the game sort of what it is okay okay yeah i think that's an important thing that you bring up it's, it's the sense of boundary conditions aren't just limiting, and they're also inspiring. So take the example of um, this story that I've heard. So there was this girl, and she was in, in an English class. And the professor told her, okay, write a story about this city or just write as much as you possibly can in a story form you know describing this city and she didn't know where to start there's so many different things that she could say okay so she brings this up to her professor and her professor says okay okay just write about this one street and she's thinking and There's still too much to say. She brings it up. So he says, okay, write about this one house. But the house has a roof, a wall, all these different levels, rooms, doors, handles, everything. And she thinks, oh, there's still too much to say. Okay. So he gives her a picture of one of the bricks on a single house on the one street in the city. And he says, write about this brick. And so... She notices all the little cracks 
and she's able to fill two pages of beautiful poetry just on one single brick because when you have such a small scope, every single detail is important. But when you have such right. a large scope, you don't know what to include. Right. That's just one example of how limitation improves creativity and in turn our lives yeah and i think that's one of the beautiful things about poetry as well it's such a limited format it's such a limited format the the boundaries are so constricting but it in doing so it it tells you okay you don't have to worry about the boundaries anymore like we have the format for you we have the outline for you now you just have to write and you have to choose words that fall within this boundary within this scope i think from there you can actually start thinking and writing well not only that but limitation helps us focus on what's important for example there's this rule of city planning that curing about curing traffic and it's that adding bigger like more lanes to a road does not cure traffic really which is super counterintuitive but the more lanes there are the more car capacity so you'd think oh traffic would alleviate but no you just have more people driving instead of getting to places that they were by either carpooling or taking a bus right so yeah. counterintuitively the limitation in a sense promotes people to use different transportation methods such as carpooling or public transportation you know okay going back to what we said about freedom as the ability to do whatever you please i th i think there's some truth to that but i think it needs to be qualified a little bit how so so what Ravi Zacharias says about this is, well, not necessarily Ravi Zacharias, but people who write for the rzim.org says that, biblically speaking, freedom doesn't mean the, the ability to do whatever you want, right? It's okay. not necessarily the ability to, to act in whatever way you please. Freedom is the ability to function the way God designed you to function, right? To do what you ought to do, but not only because it's what you ought to do, not only because it's your duty, but because that's what pleases you. So in that sense, yes, it is the ability to do whatever you please because you are being who you were created to be and it pleases you, but this is not without restraints as well. Did I make that clear? Did I did that is that did that come across as clear or do I need to explain it some other way? I mean, I get what you're saying, but what am I saying? Maybe I don't get what you're saying. <laughs> okay. I don't see I'm guessing I just don't see the broader picture. I guess I could say what are you what are you trying to get at? So freedom is not necessarily 
the ability to exist without the without a mold or without <clears throat> to make a cookie without a cookie cutter that's not freedom okay it doesn't mean in that sense being able to do whatever you want freedom is the ability to exist within the mold to be who you were created to be and to do what you ought to do right to do what you are meant to do or what you are created to do and for this positive freedom that you have and the positive actions that you do to please you to do as one pleases right to do what pleases you because you are who you were created to be right you you are within the cookie cutter mold if we're if we're going along with this analogy the cookie has been cut by the cookie cutter but there's nothing else that the cookie wants okay okay the cookie like there are boundaries but the cookie is okay with those boundaries because it is pleased to be what it is okay does that make sense yeah that makes sense but but that kind of pushes back against your point of is, we want absolute freedom because absolute freedom would be boundaryless. Okay. Um, so, so here's which the it, thing. Which is it? Do we want boundaryless or do we want to have boundaries? I think we deceive ourselves saying we want no boundaries, but boundaries help us define ourselves. You know, in the Bible, um, Paul talks about our resurrected bodies. And that always kind of struck me as struck me as odd because I thought, what? Come on. After, you know, when I'm in heaven or the new earth, like I, I don't want a body. I want to, you know, be able to do whatever I want, be unconstrained. But the more I think about it, the more I think, no, 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 that's a good thing. That yeah. li- physical limitation grounds me in the material world or that's probably has a negative connotation but it grounds no it makes you able to experience material pleasures and it makes you able to enjoy the physical it makes you able to enjoy the present right okay well i'm going to argue that we do want boundaryless freedom in order that our bounded freedom uh might be meaningful okay and i'm going to i'm going to say this in order for true love to be evidenced, I'm quoting RZIM, in order for true love to be evidenced, it must be able to choose. Okay? Okay. What makes love meaningful, right? If you were to tell a girl that you that you love her, what makes it meaningful to her is that you could have chosen any other girl. Say you have say you're you're that awesome, okay? You could have chosen any other girl. Hmm. And maybe you are that awesome, but I am. you could have chosen any other girl, but you chose her. And that was, that's what makes it true is that you chose to be committed to her because you love her, right? And the fact that you do love her is evidenced by the, by your choosing her. Okay. In order for true love to be evidenced, it must be able to choose. It must be free to choose. And in this sense, there must be no constraints 
on this freedom. I think your love for her would mean a little bit less to her if somehow you were restricted to choosing only blondes, okay? Say she's a blonde and you were restricted to choosing only blondes. What's always going to be running through her mind is what if there's a brunette that you loved more, but because you were restricted to choosing only blondes, you chose me. Then it wouldn't be absolute freedom, and then it wouldn't be true love, I don't think. Okay? So in order for that love to be as meaningful as it can be, it must be absolutely free. But here's the problem, is that through freedom comes the prospect of evil. Okay. Because That's we have absolute idea. freedom, because we are absolutely free to choose, we are also absolutely free to choose evil, right? The cookie in the cookie cutter is free. Maybe this is way too far extended for this metaphor, but the cookie is free, okay, to say to its, its – the person shaping it. Yeah, I know it's definitely extended, but keep going. I don't want to. I don't want to be in this cookie cutter, right? Even though the person shaping it may say this is going to please you the most, to be, to be a star, to be a star, or to be a little gingerbread man. Okay. Even though that person may say this is what's going to please you the most, the cookie must be absolutely free to to say no. I don't want to be a star. I want to be, you know, a, a blob. Okay? I want to be a plain circle. I don't want to be a star. I want to be a circle or, you know, a half circle. They don't want a shape, I think. It would be a better extension of the Okay, yeah. They don't don't want a shape. And as far as, you know, a blob goes, as far as a shapeless, formless. Yeah, amorphous. Good word. Thank you. Amorphous cookie goes. It's not as aesthetically pleasing to the eye it's not as pretty as the star would be okay so through freedom comes the prospect of evil okay so let me just extend your argument to its limits if god created us with free will and if freedom comes with it, the prospect of evil, then you can say that evil existed. It was a natural consequence of our freedom and therefore wasn't brought into the world by Satan but rather was always there. Was always there. Okay. And if that was always, and if evil is always there, then the world wasn't good. What do you mean? Well, if evil is somewhere, you know, that's not good. (laughs) No, 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 no. You're like good is, that which evil is not, okay? Okay. So if evil is somewhere, that's not saying that good is not there also. If you're looking at the whole thing, 
right? The thing, like if you've included good and evil in the same sphere, you can't say it's good or evil. You can say there is both good and evil here. Okay. Like they are just, they are divided from each other. That they can't be mixed. Okay, and what's the dividing line? So I I I believe that evil uh, evil is the absence of good. Okay, that's interesting. I disagree, but that's interesting. Can you explain? Well, I look at it as though darkness is the absence of light. Evil is the absence of of good. In that sense. Okay, but. But I always considered evil the twisting of good. That that's that could be true also. Like sex outside of marriage. It's the twisting of good. It's a perverted Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, I Yeah, I I don't I don't know. I haven't thought about that completely. Okay. Well you seem like you've thought about this a little bit more judging from what we were talking about before we started recording. But uh, I want to ask you this question because this kind of relates to freedom um, and responsibility. So the question is, when should people have stood up to the Nazis or the Soviets when they were coming to power? Because if we think about it, Today, there are a certain there's a certain level of really almost anything that we should, you know, shrug off. Almost anything. Okay. For example, people holding these fascist and socialist ideas, we don't plan on destroying those people. So we tolerate the people still being here. But at what point... Right. And, I mean, if you want to connect that to freedom, it's because we want ab- we want the absolute freedom in, in a sense in order that good may be evidenced through our ability to choose. Yeah. So at what point should people have stood up? Because you can't wait too long or else, well, then you don't have any power to. And you can't... Do it too early or else you don't have any justification. What's where? When? Yeah, yeah. I um that brings me that brings me to a, a quote by Martin Niemöller, who Martin Niemöller was a German in in Nazi Germany during World War Two. He was involved in the church struggle against Hitler. Um, and what was going on in, in Germany at the time was that there were essentially two, well, there were more than two churches, but there were two branches of churches, essentially, in, in Germany. One that obeyed Hitler's orders, one that restricted their preaching to what Hitler said they could preach, and restricted their acting and and doctrines to what Hitler approved of and what Hitler said uh, and the other one was the church that said no we're going to 
obey uh, the gospel, and we're we're going to obey the the doctrine that's presented in the Bible, and we're not going to listen to what Hitler says. And as far as it depends on us, we're going to try to make peace, but we're not going to submit wholeheartedly to his authority. Martin Niemöller was part of that second branch, the part that, that said, no, we're going to resist as, as far as God needs or God requires us to resist. We're going to resist. And someone who was also involved in this struggle was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And if you know anything about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, you know that he was eventually executed by Nazi Germany at the concentration camp at Flossenburg for his resistance to Hitler's rule and ultimately his assassination or his role in the assassination attempt against Hitler's life that we learn about in the movie Valkyrie. Yeah, with Tom Cruise, right? Yeah, with Tom Cruise. I completely recommend Eric Metaxas's biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It's called Bonhoeffer Prophet, Martyr, Pastor, Spy. It's absolutely phenomenal. It's very inspiring too, and it takes you through this whole struggle that Dietrich Bonhoeffer was involved with. But a name that I came across multiple times in this in this biography that I read on Dietrich Bonhoeffer was Martin Niemöller for his role in the struggle against Hitler in Nazi Germany. And what Martin Niemöller said, and this is one of his, I think this is his most famous quote, is. First, they came for the socialists, mm-hmm. yeah, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. Yeah, I was actually going to read that later. So, Oh, you were? Yeah. Interesting. What does that What does that say? Does that say he should have spoken out when they came for the socialists? Does that say that he should have spoken out when they came for the trade unionists? Or that he should have spoken out when they came for the Jews? Or that he really only should have spoken out when he came for himself? Okay. I don't know. So, John. Yeah. What caused the split in the church those two churches in germany was there one thing was was there it was it was a it was a variety of things as i recall the german church was essentially the church that Hitler established and endorsed, and they just submitted to Hitler. Whereas the confessing church was the church that confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and not Hitler. Even though they, I think they would obey Romans 13, where it talks about obeying authority, that authority is is God's agent, not, it, it doesn't act without God's authority, right? Yeah. So they they submitted to Christ, right? Yeah. 
and did not obey everything Hitler said because Hitler was restricting the the true system of the the true gospel. Yeah. Right. John, can I ask you this adjacent yeah. question? Adjacent question. How do you stand up? How do you stand up? Yes. For example, should they have taken up arms? At all? And if so, at what point? Those are kind of interlinked because I think people intuitively think, oh, well, yes, they should have because they were killing millions of people. But then you think, okay, when should they have taken up arms? Well, I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there's an exact timeline, okay? But I'll I'll say this. If you go to the book of Daniel and you look at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and, Ab- and Abednego, you'll notice that they were standing, right, when, when King Nebuchadnezzar told all the people to bow down and worship the statue of himself. Everyone was standing, and then King Nebuchadnezzar nor- ordered people to kneel, okay? And everyone kneeled except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, mm-hmm. right? So it, what you have here is standing, everyone's standing, everyone looks the same, everyone's uniform, and then the trumpet sounds, everyone kneels. If you are listening to the authority of King Nebuchadnezzar and you're listening to his threats and all of that, you're going to kneel when this happens. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego on the other hand, were not listening to his authority. They were following someone else's authority. They were following God's authority, and they were worshiping, uh, worshiping and serving God alone. Okay. And so, when everyone kneels, when everyone submits, you see who they're serving. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego do not kneel because they are not serving Him. So, what you have here is this order or this instant, right, at which things are revealed, and people kneel. Right, and it and it's it's revealed who you are serving, and what your authority is. Okay, and I think maybe that maybe that's it. Is that we don't know when that instance is going to come. We don't know when that when the light's going to shine, and the dividing the decisive factor is is going to be uh, thrust upon us. But I, if you are constant, right? If you are. St- if you are already standing and serving God, you're going to remain standing. You're going to be left standing. Okay. And it's going to be revealed at that point. And it's it's dependent. It's a matter of circumstance. It's not uniform. It's not there's one thing you have to do every single time. It's it's just here, trials are coming. Will they find us ready? Okay. And I think that is a good answer to half of the question meaning the you know it kind of goes back to positive and negative freedom they were trying to force him to do something um and he wanted to be free from doing that thing from bowing down to this statue of nebuchadnezzar but right that's kind of a passive action the action was not kneeling okay but that's not necessarily the same as 
standing up to the Nazis because the that's a protection of your own principles of serving God but that's just by continuing to serve God but when the Nazis start coming for the socialists acting out is not just continuing what you're doing it's, right will but here's here's the thing they still had to choose to stand and as much as they didn't choose to kneel they still had to choose to stand okay john but i'm saying it's it's more complicated than that because a lot of times we choose between action and inaction and at sometimes what you don't know which should, action is best well not only do you not know which action is best but you don't know where your action should be placed so let's say let's 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 talk about something kind of petty to make the uh to make the case like more clear so you know in the news there's a bunch of stuff about plastic straws you know banning plastic straws and that's kind of just okay. you know a trivial thing and i don't think we should like no we need to stand up and Never allow them to take our straws. They will have to take it over my dead body. That seems a little extreme. Would you agree? Willing to yeah. die for plastic straws. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe then they start... I don't know who they is, but maybe more things are, are taken away. Okay. Okay. Now you, you can't have um, coffee mugs. You know, just something whatever and it just starts you know slowly and all these little things you don't think oh well that's no big deal when should when should people stand up about their things being taken away their phone eh, i mean it's just a phone do we should people stand up and be willing to die okay their pets well that seems like a pretty big deal but Okay, their family, well, definitely, yes, but by that point, they've probably taken your house and your car. You know? Okay. And I'm not saying that will happen, this is just a stupid argument, but... There's a line, but where's the line? What's the, what's the line? What's the Drawn? line? Where's the line? Okay, okay. So, here, here's what I'll say. Jesus says... I believe that it's out of an abundance in the heart that the mouth speaks, right? Okay. Sorry, I'm looking this quote up right now. Uh, looks like Matthew 12:34. Jesus says, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And I'll compare it to this. Every action along with our words every action just simply displays an overflow of the heart, right? Okay. And that kind of relates to this, is that every prescription, every every sort of, like, ethical command that you would be talking about, how, how a government could ban something, every sort of prescriptive action that the government induces upon us is is out of an abundance of the philosophy that resides within the government 
the government's mind, right? The government's mentality. So here, I think you're looking at actions, and you're you're looking at 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 what is done practically, when what is done practically is really an overflow of the philosophy or the ideals and 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 uh, beliefs that a person has about life, about the nature of life, about the nature of good and evil, about the nature of love, about the nature of freedom, about all these things. What we see in, in reality and what we see practically is simply a result of what overflows from within, okay? okay. So I think maybe that's the measure. I, maybe that's the measure we use. We, we use the actions a government well, it's, it's not us, just a government, I should say. Right, it's not just a government. It's it could be another person. It, we look at these things, and we see what they are flowing out from. Okay. Okay. If they are flowing out from malicious intent, I think that sparks within us a reaction, not necessarily to their actions, but a reaction in our heart against their heart, right? And some a reaction of what we believe to what they believe and so i think as reality plays out what's in our heart is revealed through our actions and what's in their heart is revealed through their actions and reality i think pits our hearts against theirs by pitting our actions against theirs and that being said i think things are going to be proportional so like say the government is banning plastic straws because of malicious intent within the mind <laughs> of the government. Okay, within. Okay. Say say it's overflowing from this. It's just plastic straws, right? Yeah. So I don't think this is something we lay down our lives for. But at the same time, it's not something that if our heart recognizes evil intent within their heart, it's not something that we just let float by it's something that re that we will react to proportionately because of the nature of inner realities i'm and okay like That's... i'm saying it's different it's it's not prescriptive it's just kind of what's going to happen it's what time is going to reveal okay so if i'm understanding you correctly it's the measure that should be taken should be at least equal to which the measure that was imposed. Yeah, I guess so. Okay. So it's not a, there's a line, it's a, there's a continuum. Yeah. Okay. So, when the Nazis well, came for the socialists... This should. The Nazis, I think, came for the socialists. Um. Out of evil, with with an evil intent. Yes. Right. And you look at that intent, if... and then that's your deciding factor of should I stand up, and then the how should I stand up, is okay. How did they impose this? So that could be. Refusing to hand over socialists gathering people to protect even the people that you disagree with okay maybe 
and maybe okay but well that being said like the people when they came for the socialists no one knew what this would develop into okay maybe people did react proportionately here's the thing though is that if death is the end as it is for for a philosophy that is evil in itself if death is the end then it wants what is here and what is now and so its means are going to going to be uh, manifested in in the form of force. Okay. Right. If there's nothing after death, then force and power and and killing. Right. That is the the ultimate stamp. It's the ultimate uh, deciding factor. Right. So what it looks like then is the people uh, people who are dying. Right. If if a Christian resists resists and a Christian dies, it looks like that Christian has lost okay and in in the philosophy of the 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 person that is that is wielding the force and the, and that is doing the killing it looks like the person who is dead is lost but at the same time the christian philosophy says that death is not the end okay and and so you're fighting two different battles here and that's why dying for a cause can actually be more more powerful than killing for a cause okay john i think that kind of answers the next question that i was going to ask which was how do you stand up when you're alone because if you had just as many people willing and able to combat the nazis whenever they first came for the socialists i think the responsible and correct thing to do would be they would resist and right resist them forcibly taking you know socialists but when there's only a small set of people willing and able to resist their resistance must be stronger per person. Okay, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Will here's I here's I think what we need what we need to keep in mind. If those who are resisting believe in in Jesus Christ and believe in God who creates from nothing, and believe in in the Lord who fed the five thousand with five loaves of bread and seven fish or I don't know the I don't know the exact number. I think it was two. I don't know the exact ingredients of this meal. But if if that's who you believe in, then you know that whatever your whatever your action is, however small it may be, it's not necessarily you who are doing the fighting. It's it's God who creates from nothing who's doing the fighting. And he can multiply your action beyond measure. Okay? So whether it means making the ultimate sacrifice and doing what you see is the strongest thing you can do, or whether it means just writing an article saying, Hey, this is, I don't, I don't believe this is right. And here's why God, God uses it for his purposes. And he is still the one who multiplies from something that may seem so, so, so small. 
Hmm. John. Yeah. I think this discussion definitely brought up a lot more questions than we answered. And I kind of want to end on one question in particular. Okay. And I guess each person listening to this has to answer it for themselves. Okay. But it's, what are you willing to die for? That's a, that's a deep question. For your family? For your friends? Acquaintances? Strangers? Enemies? Jesus was willing to die for people who were killing him. Yeah. Yeah, that, that actually brings me to a quote by someone who's not my favorite philosopher, but who I think says something meaningful here. John Stuart Mill. He says, A man who has nothing for which he is willing to fight, nothing which is more important than his own personal safety, is a miserable creature and has no chance of, listen to this, being free, going back to what we were talking about earlier, unless made and kept so by the exertions of better men than himself. Freedom, it sounds like, based on this quote, freedom may, may come at the, at, the, at the ultimate cost. Freedom, one must be willing to die before he can be free, it sounds like. Yeah. And it's only because you are willing to die that you can become free and therefore live, right? Mm-hmm. Live for the first time. Yeah. That's what Ravi Zacharias says about the disciples. He says, the ones Jesus chose, they were the ones marked out for death, right? They were they were the 12 who end up ended up dying for for the gospel. Those who were marked out for death, however, were really the the ones who were marked out for life. They, the dead, were really the living. Jesus, the dead, was really the living. And then those who crucified him, those those the living, were really the dead. It's paradoxical, but yeah. And it's, it's not the fact that they died; it's the fact that they were willing to die. Yeah, and being willing to die, they were finally enabled to live. Yeah. So I think that's actually a good place to close it. All right. I'll see you. All right. Bye, Will. Bye.